going to uh, read from Paul's letter to the Romans in chapter 5, beginning at verse 12. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Words will come up on the screen if you want to follow it in the church Bible. You see it's on page 1069, but the version might be slightly different from the one that I shall be reading. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned, for before the law was given, sin was in the world. But sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace And the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. Again, the gift of God is not like the results of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was added so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We shall pray. Father, open the eyes of our understanding, we pray, as we think about this passage this morning. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to understand and respond to your word to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the race for the uh, Football Premier League title is really heating up, isn't it? Looks like uh, Chelsea and Manchester City are faltering faltering in the last uh, straight. Manchester United, they're well out of it. (laughs) Who knows? If there were another ten games still left in the season, Crystal Palace might just <laughs> have had a shout. Yes, you may laugh, but you're not laughing if you support Everton or West Ham. That's all I can say. I guess at this stage, 
the scene is just about set for Liverpool to return to the glory days of the 1980s. When this man was manager, Bill Shankly, of course, he's gone down in history with those immortal words. Some people believe football is a matter of life and death. I'm very disappointed with that attitude. I can assure you it is much, much more important than that. Well, he might have been a great manager, but he was a lousy theologian. <laughs> yes, I know, for many people, most of you perhaps here this morning, football in general and Liverpool FC are of little consequences. You're not really bothered whether or not they win or lose, of course, unless you support Chelsea or Manchester City. But for every one of us, Questions of life and death are of the utmost importance. Especially when, yes, it happens, we get closer to the end of our life here on earth. And so on this, this Easter Sunday morning, you know, it's, it's a great opportunity, isn't it, to consider the fundamental issue of life and death. Certainly in the context of the life, death, and resurrection to new life of Jesus. Because it's that event in history, that great act of sacrifice that Jesus performed on the cross some 2,000 years ago, which is the deciding factor for all of us in the matter of our eternal destiny. Whether we live or die eternally, eternally depends on our response to the message of Good Friday and Easter. Now, for those of you who are regular here at Lynn Baptist Church, you'll know we've been looking uh, at the opening chapters of Paul's letter to the Romans. As a recap, and for the benefit of those that haven't been with us on those occasions, the Apostle Paul, who writes this letter, has been showing how desperate the human condition is. All people, irrespective of race, of religion, are facing judgment and condemnation by God because of their departure from the laws, from the ways of God. And he then goes on to show how eternal life is available in Jesus Christ. How you can break that chain of events which begins at birth, that will go on right until we die, that will lead us into that state of judgment and condemnation before God because of our sinful behavior and because of our sinful attitudes, how that chain of events can be broken by our response to the message of Jesus Christ, the message of the gospel. Faith in Jesus makes a difference. It changes that desperate situation into one of great hope. Chapter 5, verse 11, finishes up with the fact that through our Lord Jesus Christ, those who have faith in him are reconciled to God. Because sin, our sinful behavior, our sinful attitudes, breaks that relationship with God. And it's through our faith in Jesus Christ that we are brought back together, reconciled to God. Now this poses an interesting question. 
And it's the one that Paul answers in this passage. It's a long and involved argument, but I'll try and explain it as briefly and as quickly and as carefully as I can. The question is this, how can one man do something that affects the whole of the human race? How can one man do something that affects the whole of humanity? And in order to answer that question, Paul draws a comparison between what Jesus did and what happened way back at the dawn of history in the Garden of Eden when Adam ate that forbidden fruit. And what Paul is saying is we shouldn't be so surprised that one man's act, that is what Jesus did, could affect the whole human race, could make many righteous, when in fact one man's act, what Adam did, made all people unrighteous. Paul sums it up in another passage in his letter to the Corinthians in this way. As in Adam, all die. So in Christ, all shall be made alive. We fell in Adam, we sinned in Adam, but we could be made righteous in Christ in a similar way. Adam's one act brought death. Christ's one act brought life. Now, notice this, that although there are similarities here between Adam and Jesus, there are, in fact, big differences. And that's what Paul is underlining here. Paul gives a number of contrasts as he presents Christ as the one who brings life, just as Adam brought death. And we're going to look at four of those contrasts. The first is this. There is a contrast in essence. The gift is not like the trespass. There is a fundamental difference in the nature here. The word trespass means simply a deviation from a path. Going off course. Going against God's law. What Adam did was a deviation from the route that God had set for him. He disobeyed and he went off track. It was a sinful thing. It was evil. It was against God. But in terms of what Christ has done, it is a free gift. It's a gift of grace. It's something that is good and pleasing to God. Adam did something that was opposite to what God wanted. Jesus did something that was exactly what God wanted. Secondly, there's a contrast in effect. Each of these things, these acts that were committed, had an effect. There is a contrast here. A contrast between the effects of Adam's sin, Adam's trespass, and the effect of Christ's free gift. Going back to verse 15. If the many died by the trespass of one, of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. Notice in the middle of that verse the words, how much more? How much more? Adam did this, but Christ did what? Much more. Adam had this effect, but Christ's act had much more of an effect. There was a difference. 
Adam's sin brought really just a one-dimensional response. It killed everybody spiritually. That was it. Adam sinned, we all suffered the consequences. But when Christ saves, it's a salvation which makes available to us all the wonders of eternal life. All the wonders of eternal life forever and ever. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just cancel sin and restore us to a condition that we would have been if Adam had not sinned. With that act comes this tremendous gift of salvation in all that that entails. The hope of eternal life. The prospect of being with God for all eternity. And you know, because of what Jesus did, we can have that wonderful assurance that once we're in Christ, we are in him and with him forever. Nothing can ever take that hope away from us. And that fills us with joy, it should do at least, fills us with joy and thanksgiving and praise as we live our lives without the fear of what happens when we die. Because nothing can ever overcome the power of God in our lives in Jesus Christ. We are saved for all eternity. Thirdly, there's a contrast in the extent. It shows the extent of Adam's condemnation, the extent of Christ's forgiveness and justification. Verse 16. Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. And the point here is that that sentence of condemnation that came about through Adam came about because of one act of disobedience. Just one act. In other words, men and women are under condemnation by the one sinful act of of Adam because we all sinned in Adam. But then if you look again at verse 16, the free gift is not about one sin, it's about many sins, about many trespasses. The extent is different. One sin with Adam, many sins in relation to Jesus. What he's simply saying is, what he's simply saying is this, that Adam's one sin condemned everybody. But Christ's act on the cross and through his resurrection can forgive all sins. Not just one, all sins. Contrast in the extent. How much greater is Christ's one act than Adam's? Christ saves us, despite the immensity of our disobedient acts. So when you look at the cross of Jesus Christ, and you see him dying on that cross, you need to remind yourself, that there he's taking the sins of the whole world. Your sins, my sins, everyone's sins. The whole of the human race. And he's putting them on himself. And he's carrying them to the cross. And he's dying in our place. Bearing our punishment. Dying for our forgiveness. Doesn't that tell you a great deal about the immense love of God for us people? For God so loved the world, so loved the world that he gave his only son, 
that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And we are Jesus' friends if we put our trust in him. Contrast in extent. Finally, there's a contrast in efficacy. And that means there's a difference in the capacity for producing that desired result. Verse 17. If by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Adam brought about a reign of death. Christ brings in a reign of life. A huge difference. You know, Adam sinned, but he had no idea of the result of that one act of disobedience. Did he? It certainly didn't produce the desired results. He had been promised by the devil, the serpent, that if he ate the fruits of that tree, particular tree in the Garden of Eden, he would become like God. That's what he was hoping. But it didn't work out. It was all a lie. The actual result was that it brought condemnation on the whole human race. It produced the very opposite of what he and his wife were offered by Satan. It didn't make make them like God. It actually brought them under God's condemnation. But on the other hand, of course, Christ's one act of righteousness on the cross of Calvary produces the desired results. That those who put their trust in him can reign in life. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it in all its abundance. That's the life that Jesus offers. That's the life that we talk about. That is the life that Jesus acquired for us through his resurrection on that first Easter Sunday. We not only have life, we reign in life. We reign as kings and queens, inheriting all of God's wonderful possessions, a wonderful thought. So friends, doesn't that challenge you? Doesn't that challenge you to know that in Jesus Christ, you can become something different from what you are right now? Have you ever really considered that God in Christ can transform your life and your future destiny? Have you ever thought the total change that can take place in your life through salvation? Jesus, by his death and resurrection, has turned enemies into friends. He's turned paupers into into princes and princesses. He's turned slaves into free people. He's turned a child of Adam into a child of God. He's turned dead souls into living beings. He's turned victims into victors. All because Jesus died and rose again. So where are you in all this? What relevance is all this? to each one of us.
Well, it's extremely relevant because it's a matter of life and death. A matter of life and death. And each one of us this morning has a choice. We can carry on as we are, perhaps, without Christ in our lives. And the inevitable consequence of that is that we will face death and we will face God and we will face judgment. But if we choose Christ, then we have the prospect of reigning with him with eternal life. The choice, as they say, is yours. Let's pray. Father, in the quietness, we just pause and allow your spirit to speak to each one of us. Whatever words we may have heard this morning in the context of our worship service, we pray that you will right now impress them again on our minds. Words of encouragement, words of challenge, words of hope. But that you will speak into our situations and bring us to that point where each one of us will be able to leave this building knowing that our sins have been dealt with and that we have an eternal hope. And that hope will lead us out in joy and in thanksgiving. Lord, do not allow anyone to leave this place this morning unaffected by your word. In Jesus' name we pray.